You're listening to a podcast of the Sunday morning message from Grace Christian Church in the city of Cork on the beautiful south coast of Ireland. We hope and pray that it will be a blessing to you. I don't want to turn the music off at all. It's cool, isn't it? I just love the groove. It's, it's very hard to not move when you hear that music, isn't it? Yeah, it's very hard not to move, all right? The joy of the Lord is my strength. Do you know something? The reason I played that song this morning is because I want to get happiness into your head. Do you know why? Because God wants you to be happy. He actually really does want you to be happy. And I'm not going to put any kind of, no, in a certain... God wants you to be happy. He created us for happiness. We bring the misery on ourselves, you know. I want to talk this morning about the pursuit of happiness. I want to talk this morning about the way that we can find real happiness. If you're listening inside in Cafe Church this morning, we just pl- prayed, played Farrell Williams' song, Happy. You can just go out of this now and just watch the video instead. It's probably going to be a lot more fun, okay? We're talking this morning about pursuing happiness. God wants you to be happy. And you know something? I want me to be happy. Does anybody here want to be happy? If you want to be miserable, you're in the wrong church. You've got the wrong faith if you want to be miserable. Would anyone say amen? Because Christians are supposed to be happy. No, haven't said that. That doesn't mean that we don't have hassles and troubles and tribulations and trials and problems. We do because we're human beings. But as somebody said, trouble is, is com- compulsory, but misery is optional. We, can take, we have the choice to be miserable. I want to talk this morning from a passage of scripture from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13. I just, there's just three verses. I don't normally preach from passages that are three verses long, but I will this morning because one of these verses in particular has always spoken to me ever since I became a Christian. So I just can't. There's another little yoke there. There's a, there's a bunch of, there's a compendium of stuff there. One of these verses has spoken to me for many, many years, and every time I read it, it speaks to my heart. Every time I read it, it gives me a joy inside. Now, it may not have that effect on you, but that's okay, because it had, it had that effect on me. And the first time I remember reading it, I read it in 1986, not long after I became a Christian. And when I read this, I realized that this was a bit like my life. No, that didn't mean I didn't have difficulties, troubles, trials, or things to grow up, or things to mature out of, but... This was kind of my story. I want to turn to Matthew's Gospel. And in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13, Jesus has been describing the kingdom of God. In actual fact, in, in uh, Matthew's Gospel, Jesus talks about the kingdom of God. 41 times he mentions the kingdom of God. And the thing about the kingdom of God is this. Jesus says several times that the kingdom of God is like, and he keeps on saying the kingdom of God is like this, and the kingdom of God is like that, and the kingdom of God is like the other. Now, the thing we need to get into our heads is this. The kingdom of God is where God is the king. Yeah? So when you see the words kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God, they're completely interchangeable. It means the place where what God wants to happen, happens. It means where his values are the values of the people that are in that kingdom. But Jesus said something very important about the kingdom of God. And sometimes we can forget about this. He said, you will not find the kingdom of God by, by carefully observing the signs. And he said, you can't kind of run over to a certain place and find the kingdom of God over here. And you can't go to another place and say, oh, there's the great kingdom of God that's really brilliant in Brazil. Or the kingdom of God is fantastic in Ghana. Or the kingdom of God is great in America. He said, that's because the kingdom of God is where? It's within you. 
That's where the kingdom of God is. It's within you. So wherever you go, if the kingdom of God is within you, that's where the kingdom of God is. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? And when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, what he's talking about is the place, it's not the republic of God. Now, I, I, I'm, I'm a bit of a republican. I like the idea of republic or democracy and equal rights and so on and so forth. But the, the thing about a republic, it's where the majority rules. In, in God's kingdom, the majority doesn't rule. God is the majority. He is the majority. That's it. He's the guy who says what happens. So it's just we need to get the idea of kingdom into our head and have it clear. It is not outside. It is inside. It is the place where God rules. Jesus is describing the kingdom of God to his disciples. He's done several of them here in Matthew chapter 13. He's told the parable of the sower and a number of other parables. And then he tells this, probably the shortest parable in the entire Bible. It's more of an illustration than the parable, but I love it. And this is what he says. Oh, what happened? What happened? What did I do there, grass? Jesus didn't sing happy, okay? I just want to be clear on that one. All right? If you can leave it there, grass, I'll try and take it from here myself. Will we go? Will we go? Is it going to happen? Yes, it's going to happen. Jesus said this. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. And in his joy, he hid it again. And he sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. I love this simple parable. The kingdom of heaven, I'm going to read it again, is like treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. And in his joy, he hid it again and he sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Now, the man in this parable is you. Even if you're a woman, you're the man in the parable. Sorry about that. We could kind of go the, the gender neutral and say it's like a person, but he says a man. You are the man working in the field. The idea that Jesus is evoking here is of a peasant land laborer, a guy who has very, very little, and he's working the land of somebody else. That's his job. He works in somebody else's land. And one day he's out hoeing the land, or he's plowing the land, or he's digging the land, or he's doing something on the land, and he's working on the land, and this is what's being evoked here. And as he's going along, he's hoeing, and next thing he goes, boonk, and he hears... You're not supposed to hear that sound in the middle of the field. And he hits it again. He hears the sound again. He gives it one more to be sure. There's something underneath the soil. And he gets down and he begins to tear back at the soil. Now, you've got to remember back in, the, in these days, there was no banks. There was no, you didn't go to the bank with your money and deposit it and then go back after us and collect your money. This was how people hid their money in uncertain times. If you thought the Romans were about to invade you, buried your money, you hid your money in some manner. So this guy has discovered something here. And he begins to clear back, and he finds inside in the ground a bag or a box of treasure. He finds a box, and he takes out the box, and he opens it. And what happens to him when he opens the box? What happens to him physically? His pupils dilate, because he looks in, and he sees this wealth that is beyond his imagining. This is incredible wealth, wealth he could never have thought he could ever possibly have owned. And his eyes are dilating, and his, and his heart begins to beat, and his pulse rises, and he begins to shake at the sight of what's before him. And then he realizes, uh-oh. Somebody, somebody might see me. So he closes it, covers it up again, and he goes home. Now, what was on that man's mind when he, imagine, let's call him Matthias, okay? So Matthias is the peasant farmer. And he goes home that evening to his wife, Abigail, and he's having his dinner. And as they sit down to have their dinner, Abigail says to him, Matthias, are you okay? You seem to be kind of, have something on your mind. He says, no, 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 everything's fine. Everything's fine. And she says, are you sure? Because there's, 
something funny about you today. You're kind of normally easy going. You like to be with the kids, but today you seem kind of tense and there's something going on in you. She says, no, no, I'm fine. And he eats the meal and she's kind of wondering, is there something going on with this fella? And the next thing is, uh, that night, the, the two of them are lying in bed. She's beginning to wonder. She's beginning to worry about Matthias because Matthias is kind of acting kind of funny. Matthias is tossing and turning inside in his bed all night long, back and forth, can't sleep. What's he got on his mind? He's got the treasure on his mind. If it was you, you would have the treasure on your mind. Imagine you had just won the lottery and you had a lottery ticket in your hand. A lottery ticket that would cause you to win the Euro Millions draw. And you just won 100 million euros. Do you think that you'd kind of forget about that ticket? Do you think you'd be kind of going, oh, what did I do with that ticket again that I had? I'm oh, sorry, I was too busy thinking about the match on the telly. No, you wouldn't be thinking about the match on the telly. You wouldn't be thinking about food. You wouldn't be thinking about your wife or your children. Oh, no, no. You'd only be thinking about that ticket. That's what you'd be thinking about. Well, it's the same for the bull Matthias in this story, this fictional character, Matthias. He's lying in bed. He's thinking about the, he's thinking about the gold that he's after hiding in the field. And his wife is going, what is wrong with Matthias? She begins to think that he's having an affair. Go with me on this one. Use a bit of creative imagination. She's thinking he's having an affair. He's thinking about another woman. So the following morning, they have breakfast and Matthias is lost and he's thinking and rubbing his face and rubbing his hands and he's away and he can't tell her. He just simply can't tell her. And then she eventually says, Matthias, we need to talk. What's the matter with you? Have you, have you found someone else? And he says, what? He says, there's someone else, isn't there, Matthias? And he says, someone else? What, what are you talking about? He says, there's another woman. You've met someone, haven't you? He says, what? no, 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 no. She says, well, what's wrong with you? He says, I can't tell you. She says, you can't tell me. He says, look, I'm telling you, Abigail, you need to trust me on this one. I know what I'm doing. You need to trust me on this one. I really... She said, there's no other woman. He says, no, it's not another woman. It's not another man, is it? No, it's not another man. No. You just need to trust me on this one. And, and she says, okay, Matthias, I really trust you. And he looks at her and he says, thank you, Abigail. Now we need to sell the house and everything we own right now. What? He goes home and in his joy, he discovers this, he discovers this treasure. And in his joy, he says, right, I got to get the land. Because under Jewish law, if he bought the land, he owns whatever's under the land. It's like, this, imagine you're outside, you're, you're doing your neighbor's back garden. Because you're a Christian, you like to cut the grass for your neighbor, isn't that right? Amen. So you've cut the grass, and then you're raking the lawn, and suddenly you hear, gunk, and you hit something, and you discovered that there's treasure buried under your neighbor's lawn. And you go back and say, hello, Mrs. McCarthy, God bless you. Do you know, this is a nice place. I was wondering... Would you be interested in selling it at all, by any chance? No, I've, I've, this house has been in my family for a hundred years. Well, I wouldn't mind taking it off your hands if you're interested in selling. Why, why would you be interested in this house? Um, it's just such a nice place. It's got character. No, you want it because there's treasure in it. And I love this story because the way Jesus illustrates is that the guy discovers what Jesus says is the kingdom of heaven. And he says the guy has discovered something that is worth more than he could ever imagine or wish he could possibly ever own. Brothers and sisters, the kingdom of heaven is worth more than you could ever wish for or own in this life. That's nine people believe that. The kingdom of heaven is worth more than you could ever own or wish for in this life. 
It says, in his joy, he went and sold. No, he didn't sell everything. He didn't say, oh, I'm making an enormous sacrifice to buy the treasure in the field. No, because what he owned wasn't worth as much as the treasure. You see, sometimes as Christians, we think that what we own, what's in our lives, is actually worth more than the treasure of the kingdom of God. But it isn't, because the kingdom of God is worth so much more. Jesus goes on, he tells a second parable along the same lines, and this is what he says. I like this one. He says, once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and he bought it because he spotted that it had a value that was greater than everything that he owned. What do you own? What do you own that is worth more than the kingdom of God? Is there something in your life that is worth more to you than the kingdom of God? And I like the contrast between the two, the two stories because in the first one, the farmer accidentally stumbles upon the kingdom of God. He finds it. He wasn't expecting to find it. He just stumbled upon it. But in the second one, the merchant is on the lookout for the kingdom of God. You see, a lot of the people, I, I would be one of them, I, I just kind of stumbled on the kingdom of God. I stumbled on the message about Jesus. I mean, I'd heard about Jesus growing up and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I, I, I went to Mass and I was a, you know, kind of a basically kind of went to Christmas and went to Easter type of, type of Roman Catholic, and that was what I did. And then somebody brought me to a Christian meeting where people really knew Jesus. And I stumbled upon it. And they said, I've got to have this. And then the process, it cost me a lot of stuff. No, I didn't go, oh, the cost of all of this. I didn't care what I lost. I was a Christian. I had eternal life. It didn't matter to me. It didn't matter to me that my friends were going, stay away from him. He's got a Bible in his hands. I didn't, it didn't, didn't bother me that I was standing on Patrick Street and friends were coming up to me going, oh, bless me, Father Michael, mocking me in the street. I didn't mind it. Because I was a Christian, I had eternal life. Amen. See, nothing you own, nothing you own, or nothing in your life is more valuable than the kingdom of God in your life. Nothing is more valuable than what God wants to and can do in your life and through your life. Are you with me? Yeah, are you with me? You see, we have a funny value system going on in our heads sometimes. Sometimes we think that things are really valuable, and they're not all that valuable. Here's what, uh, here's what an American philosopher and poet called David Henry Thoreau, Henry David Thoreau said. He said, the price of anything is the amount of your life you exchange for it. That's the price of something. What the amount of your life that you exchange for it. In the case of the parables we've just read, it was worth more than everything that they owned. And I guarantee you, the farmer had very little, but it was certainly worth a lot more than everything he owned. The merchant on the lookout for fine pearls, he obviously had a lot of money, but it was still worth everything, more than everything he owned. Whatever is in your life, you need to measure its true price. Measure the true price of it. It's worth, the value of it is the amount of your life you will exchange for it. When you actually begin to look at things like that, let me give you an example. Imagine you buy, imagine you buy a 30,000 euro car. I'd like a 30,000 euro car. If anybody wants to give me a 30,000 euro car, I'm wide open to receiving on that level. No problem at all. Imagine you want to, but what you've got to do is figure out how long do I have to work to earn that 30,000 euros? Because that's the price of the car. How much of your time are you willing to exchange? Now, that's fine if you're willing to exchange it. That's absolutely your gig by all means. But you have to figure out how much of my time will I have to exchange to purchase this item? That's the real price. That's the real price 
of that item. That's the value that you are putting on it. How much of your life will you have to exchange to earn a 30, to buy a 30,000 euro car? Okay? Now, if you add on interest payments, and if you buy, decide to buy it on the long finger, and you add on, it, it, it doesn't matter. As you can see, the, the, the value can grow depending on how it is that you measure the value of something. What's in your life? You go, hang on a second. Is this really worth what I'm paying for it? Because these guys spotted something that was worth paying everything for. Jesus gave a bit of advice about, about riches. And you're very familiar with this, but I want to get to the, the second part. That Jesus said this. He said, don't store up treasures here on earth where, moth and, uh, where moths eat them and rust destroys them. And thieves break in and steal. Store your treasure in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy. And thieves do not break in and steal. Do you know Everything in your life is temporary. Everything. Your house is temporary. Sorry, bad news, it's temporary. My house is temporary. My car is temporary. My job is temporary. My breath, my clothes are temporary. More temporary than I might imagine. There, everything in your life is temporary. Open your eyes and look around you. Everything is temporary. And that's why Jesus says, would you not store up treasure in heaven? And when the rich young man comes to him, he says to him, and this is where I want to go, the rich young man, this a rich guy comes up to Jesus, he says, what must I do to get eternal life? And Jesus says, sure, you know the commandments, do this and do that and do the other thing. He says, I did all that. And Jesus said to him, I'll tell you what, sell everything you have. And I love the way Jesus probably said this with a smile on his face. We think he said, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. He didn't say it like that. He looked at him and he said, I'll tell you what to do, right? Sell everything you have. And the rich man is going, right, and give it to the poor, right and then you will have treasure in heaven and the rich man said I'll come back to you on that one I'll come back to you on that one I'm not so sure I want to do that why did he say to him he didn't say go and sell everything and give it to the poor so that you can be miserable for the rest of your days and count your sacrifices all of your life no he said, give up what you can't keep to get what you can't lose. He said, surrender your temporary riches and gain eternal riches. Do it not because it's the right thing to do, but do it because you will get a reward for doing it. Thanks for sharing that, Brother Michael. <laughs> Jesus wants to reward you. He wants to give you treasure that will last. He wants you to be happy. But I guarantee you, no matter what version of the iPhone you have, it won't make you happy. No matter what car you have, it won't make you happy, baby. It's not going to make it. No matter how big the mansion you live in, it ain't going to make you happy. But he wants you to be happy. And he's promised a reward. He has promised treasure. The right thing to do is to do something for the reward or for the treasure, especially when Jesus says it. Because he said this, and this is the part we probably are not 100% sure about. He says, because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where's the kingdom of heaven? In your heart. That's where the kingdom of heaven is. But where your treasure is, your heart will be also. You know, sometimes it doesn't happen very much these days, but it would have happened maybe in, in, in a previous life. I would have to be away sometimes at night from my wife and kids and, and that kind of stuff. And I must say that when I'm away from them, I think about them an awful lot. If, if, if I have to be away from them for whatever reason, I remember once I had to go away, I had to travel away for a number of weeks. Actually, it was a, a couple of months. I had to go up to the Midlands of Ireland and do a job. And every day, 
The only thing I could think of was my wife. And she was at home. I know, I know. And after we got married, I know it's not very believable, but there you are. After we got married, I remember we got married, and about a month after we got married, I got a great job. Well, I didn't get a great job. I got a job. Thank God I got a job. But my job was to work evening shifts five days a week and overtime on a Saturday. The problem is she worked day shifts. Now, we were just married a month, okay? Now, couples who get married a month should be, and I hasten to add, should be, happy to be together. Would anyone say amen? But I had to go to work every evening as she was coming home. So we had this crossover of a half an hour between when I had to be in work and when she came home from work. So I wouldn't see her from one end of the week till the other. And every night I, where I worked, there was a view of where we lived. I, li I worked on one of the hills outside Cork City. I'm going somewhere with this. And every night that I was working up there, I would walk out to the door when I was on break, and I would look out, and I would think about my wife, and I would pray for her. Because you know what? Where my treasure is, that's where my heart was. That's where I wanted to be. Are you with me? He great, isn't he? Huh? Elma's not here, no. No, I don't. If she, if she was here, she'd probably say, excuse me. I'm not saying that because I'm a lovely fella or that we're a really lovely couple. I'm just saying, I want to illustrate where treasure is. That's where your heart will be. Lads, where's your heart? Because that's where your treasure is. If your heart, if your heart is in the MSL Mercedes dealership, that's where your treasure is. You with me? Are you with me? If your heart is in Anfield supporting Liverpool Football Club, that's where your treasure is. Because where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. You see, God wants to make you happy. He wants you to be happy. He really does. I really want to underline that. But there's a problem. We do everything we can to be happy if we could be happy and independent of God. If we could just be happy and not have him, it'd be fantastic, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be a great way to live? I could do whatever I like. I'm happy, happy. I'm like Will Ferrell. I've got all the moves. I've got the looks. I've got the grooves. I'm happy, but I'm not complicated by God being in my life. Kind of, oh, thank you very much, guys. I'm just happy, and I can dance, and I can walk down the pavement and do all this kind of moves. Fantastic. But C.S. Lewis, as you well know, my favorite Christian author, said this. I love this. He said, God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. Amen. There is no such thing as happiness and peace away from God. Somebody recently came to me. They came to a church. They were to church for maybe their second time at the church. And they said, Michael, would you, would you pray for me, please? I really need God's peace. And it's very simple. I said, you know, you can't have the peace of God unless you have peace with God. God doesn't kind of like sprinkle his peace on us so that we can kind of be like the sugar plum fairy. He doesn't sprinkle peace on us so that we can just have a nice peaceful time. He only gives us his peace when we have peace with him. When we have peace with him, we get the peace of him. Are you, are you, do you know what I'm saying? And it's the same with our happiness, lads. No matter how happy somebody may appear, no matter how happy you think you might be independent of God, you will not be because it's simply not possible for God to put into our lives something that is alien to him, happiness without him. And everyone in the world today and in history is going in one of two directions. They're either, head, either heading towards God or they are heading away from him. There is no neutral ground. They're either pursuing their happiness in God or they're trying to pursue their happiness outside of God. There is 
no neutral ground. No neutral ground. No place where we can say, mm, I'm not sure, one direction or the other. So what's worth, what's the, like, I was given an illustration recently. You know, I drive this old um, Saab. Somebody gave me a gift of a Saab a few years ago. Um, it's out of commission at the moment because the seatbelt is broken. And the NCD guy said, you must fix your seatbelt. And I said, who needs a seatbelt? No, I didn't. But I, anyway, it's out of commission at the moment, but it, it's, it's getting fixed. But I have this old, old Saab, right? It's a 2001 Saab, so it makes it 16 years old. The moment's going to be 17 years old come the click of January. And it was a gift to me. Somebody gave it a gift to me. And, and I like it. I like driving around. It's a big, powerful car. It's kind of a bit expensive to run, but I didn't buy it, so it's, it's kind of cool. And I like this car. Now, if somebody said to me, Michael, uh, I need you to sacrifice your Saab so that I can give you a brand new Mercedes Benz. Would you go, yeah, that's an awful sacrifice you're making. Oh, Michael, how could you possibly make that big a sacrifice? And that's kind of what goes on in our lives. And we say, when Jesus says, if anybody loses his life for my sake, he will find it. He said, if anybody gives up anything in this life, I will multiply it, is what Jesus says. I'm very, very loosely translating. That's because we might want to hold on to our old jalopy of a sab when Jesus is offering us the Mercedes Benz. No, let's, oh no, whatever I just said. <laughs> Can we delete that piece of the recording? Jesus isn't offering anybody a Mercedes Benz, all right? Just for the record, okay? Buy one yourself, go for it, by all means. But Jesus isn't saying, ah, I want to bring a Mercedes Benz into your life. What a load of rubbish. The point I'm making is that it is no sacrifice for me to lay down my clapped out sab to get a brand new Mercedes Benz. And that is, the, that is what Jesus is saying. Lay down what you have, and I will give you something significantly better. But it isn't actually a sacrifice. I made such a sacrifice. The, the, uh, Dr. Livingston, the very famous uh, Christian missionary, who at the end of his life was giving a valedictorian speech in one of the colleges in London, whose name escapes me right now. And as he was giving the speech, he said, Many people said to me over the years, What a sacrifice you made to give up your life here in England and the comforts of academia, to go into um, sub-Saharan Africa and reach out to people who had never heard the gospel and to run the risk of having spears thrown at you and risking your life day in and day out by wild animals and tribes who didn't know God and the risks you took and the times you got malaria and the times you got jaundice and amoebic dysentery and all the times you got sick. He said, I never made a sacrifice. I wouldn't have done anything else with my life. And anything I lay down, Jesus offers me a thousand times fold, whatever it is that I've laid down. And if you get a thousand times what you've laid down, that's not a sacrifice. That is a bargain. And Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is like the fellow who found a bargain. That he gets rid of all the junk that he thinks he owns. And he gets to buy something that is of infinite value. Paul talks about his life and he talked about how he, was, how he was like a really, really top level Jew and he had all the education of a top level Jew and all that kind of stuff. And next thing he says this about his life. He said this. He said, once I thought all these important things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything is worthless, he says, when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as rubbish so that I could gain Christ. 
And what he's saying is, I could have held on to all my rubbish and I would have lost Christ. I could have held on to all this, what we would consider pretty good stuff, academic qualifications, social influence, all those things that we would have thought were important. He says, I count them all as rubbish. And the word rubbish there, by the way, is a, is a translation from the Greek of a much, much stronger word. And all you've got to think about, the word that should be there is the word of something that you would flush the toilet to get rid of. Just have that in mind. That's what he's trying to say here. He said, it is worthless compared to knowing Christ. Now, before you go off and think, oh great, I must go home now and sell everything I have. That is not, 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 not what I'm saying, okay? Please, whatever you think of, oh, Michael thinks that we should all sell our Mercedes-Benz. If anybody's looking to sell a Mercedes-Benz chief, just give me a shout, I'm interested. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that this it, God offers us gold. He offers us treasure far beyond anything that we could ever possibly own. Don't hold on to the junk and miss the treasure. Do you know what I'm saying? Don't hold on to the junk. You see, sometimes we hold on to insecurities. Sometimes we hold on to fears and we miss God's best. Sometimes we hold on to addictions, broken relationships, mistakes, bad jobs. Because you know why? We choose unhappiness rather than uncertainty very often. Because there's a risk if we let something go. So in a strange way, human beings are wired in such a way that we would choose to be unhappy in a situation than uncertain about what the future might bring. I want you to mull on that one for a little while. Why do people stay for so long in destructive relationships? Why do they stay for so long with destructive habits and destructive sins in their lives? Because giving them up means uncertainty. And you know, there's an old phrase. It says, better the devil you know than the devil you, you don't. Do you know something? That's a load of rubbish. Better no devil at all. Amen. Better no devil at all. Don't mind this rubbish about, well, better the devil you know. No, no, not better the devil you know. Surrender what you have, let it over to God, and you move on with your life. Don't stay unhappy because you're afraid of being uncertain. He lays it all down. I thought it was valuable and now I no longer consider it valuable. Look at what Jesus did. Jesus acted in a certain way because Jesus was pursuing something, believe it or not. You go, hmm, Jesus really? He sacrificed his life? This is what Hebrews says. He says in Hebrews, keeping our eyes on Jesus, Paul advises, he is the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and now he sitteth the right in the place of honor beside God's throne. We're nearly there now, lads. We're nearly there. Look at what it says. It says, because of the joy awaiting him. Jesus didn't lay down his life because he loved doing sacrifice. He didn't lay down his life because it was going to be pleasant or it was going to make him feel better about himself. He did it because there was a joy awaiting him. Now, here's the thing. If you lay something down in your life and you do it because God wants to offer you a greater joy or you want to lay down some of your junk so you can have the treasure of heaven, do you think that that's wrong if that's exactly what Jesus did? He laid down his life for the joy awaiting him. That would be his resurrection. That would be his ascension. That would be his glorification at the right hand of God. That is why he lay down his life. And by the way, part of that joy is you. You are the joy that was set before him, winning people back to the Father by the sacrifice of himself. Paul advises, I'm nearly there. 
Paul advises, since you have been raised to a new life of Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. Think about the things of heaven, not about the things of the earth. Since you have been raised to new life, set your sights on the realities of heaven. The permanence of heaven, not on the temporariness of this life. Not on the temporariness of this life. The kingdom of God is like a man who found treasure in his field. And immediately he hid it again. And in his joy he went and sold all he had. And he bought the field. He bought the field because there was treasure in the field. There was gold in that field. Does anybody know what iron pyrite is? Anybody know what iron pyrite is? Iron pyrite is the official name for fool's gold. Fool's gold. And so many people buy fool's gold thinking that it's the real gold. Iron pyrite looks very like gold. And when they began to, began to dig it out of hills, very often people would, would, would sell off iron pyrite as being real gold. It looks like gold, it feels like gold, but it doesn't burn like gold. It burns differently. It's, the, it's a different type of product. It's completely different. It's iron-based, not like gold, which is much, much purer. And people very often buy fool's gold and hold on to their fool's gold. Don't fall for the fool's gold of holding on to your treasures and your possessions, that are holding on to the things that make you feel secure, whether they're your sins or your weaknesses, whether they're your treasures, your possession, your career, or your title, or whatever it is. Don't hold on to that and miss the real gold that Jesus wants to offer. Because sometimes, you know what? We do go through life and we hold on to things and we go, well, you know, this is important to me. Or, and, and I'm not necessarily talking about physical things. I'm talking very often about emotional things or psychological things. We hold on to things and go, you know, well, you know, well if I don't have that, I'll have nothing in my life. Well, you would be better off to let it go. Jesus speaking in Revelation to the church in Laodicea. He's writing, the Spirit of God is speaking. Sorry, forgive me. The angel is, is speaking about the, the, uh, the church at a place called Laodicea. And in this, in this passage he's talking, it's there in Revelation chapter 3. I don't want to go into all of it. But it's basically this. It says he's writing to Christians who are living in this place called Laodicea. And he says, you know, he says, you know, you think you are rich and you don't have need of anything. And sometimes we can think like that. We, we don't have need of anything. We want to be invulnerable. We've got the, you know, we're strong. We don't need anything. He said, you think you're rich and you don't need anything. But he said, you are poor, you're blind, and you're naked. They just didn't realize it. They just didn't realize it. In any eternal sense, they were poor, they were blind, and they were naked, but they thought everything was grand. I'm doing nicely. Thank you very much. But he said, you're poor, and you're blind, and you're naked. And he says this. He says, but I advise you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. That you may be rich rich. Does anybody want to be rich? <laughs> you know that he's not talking about, you know, having a load of money in a Swiss bank account, just for the record, okay? He says, I urge you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. Sometimes we've got fool's gold in our lives and we'll say, Lord, I want to hand over this fool's gold so that I can have the eternal riches that you offer. He goes on to say that I will give you garments, clean garments and salve for your eyes. But how do you buy 
this gold, it's really simple. How do you buy the gold? Do you have to go out and try and find this gold somewhere? It continues on in Revelation chapter 3. It says this, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. I knock. What does it actually say? Revelation chapter 3. Jesus speaking and he says, I urge you to buy from me gold that has been purified by fire and then you will be rich. And you can also buy from me white garments and so that you will not be ashamed by your nakedness. And you can buy ointment for your eyes so you will be able to see. And he goes on to say, look, I stand at the door and then knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. To buy the gold, you've got to let Jesus in. He brings it. He brings the gold. Have you something that you want to hand over? You've a fool's gold this morning. You say, Lord, I want to hand over this fool's gold. I want to hand over this thing that I've been holding onto that could be keeping me back from knowing the fullness of the life that you have for me. I'm going to invite us to stand. Can we stand together? Very often in our lives, after we have gone off and we have sold everything to buy, maybe you get the band up, lads, if the band want to come up. We go off and we sell everything we have and we buy the kingdom of God and then somebody comes along and starts to sell it back to us. Do you know that one? You think, I've left that one behind me. I've left that situation behind me or I've left that habit behind me or I've left that mistake behind me and then somebody comes along and tries to sell the darn thing back to you and you go, mm, maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't. And we can sometimes be caught buying back fool's gold, buying back false riches when real riches are being offered to us. Let's close our eyes for a minute. Let's close our eyes for a minute. Guys, you can brew away the song. You know the song we're going to sing. We're going to sing the song, Christ is enough for me. I love the song, Christ is my reward and all of my devotion and nothing in this world can ever satisfy is the line we sing in that song. Let's close our eyes for a second. If you're here this morning and you want to say, Lord, I want to lay down this thing in my life. I want to lay down this habit. I want to lay down this relationship. I want to lay down this mistake. I want to lay down this past error. I want to lay this down so that I can own the treasure that you offer to me. I want to surrender this fool's gold so that I can have the real gold that you offer to me, Lord. I want you to come in and eat with me, Lord, as friends. Lord, I want to hand something over this morning. I want to give away this fool's gold that I've bought back. I want to give it away again. If that's you this morning, will you raise your hand? See your hands. We're going to pray. Let's sing this song. Christ is my reward and all of my devotion. Let's sing. Christ is my reward and all of my devotion. Now there's nothing in this world that could ever satisfy. Through every trial, my soul will sing no turning back. I've been set free. 
is enough for me and everything I need is in you everything I need let's raise our hands to heaven as we pray this morning whether you were the one who put up your hand a second ago whether you were in that group of people who raised up their hands earlier we're going to pray Lord, I thank you that you want us to be happy. Would anyone say amen? I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you went to the cross for the joy that was set before you. I thank you, Lord, this morning that we are all part of that joy. Would anyone say amen? Lord, we come before you this morning and we lay before your feet, Lord. We give up. We sell this morning that which would stop us from taking your true riches into our lives. Lord, we want to know the happiness that is in you and from you. Would anyone say amen? Lord, we want to surrender the fool's gold in Jesus' name. Lord, tonight we lay, or today we lay down the fool's gold, Lord, that we sometimes cling to, Lord. There's habits and mistakes, or sins, addictions, Lord. We lay that fool's gold down, Lord, and we say, Lord, we want to be rich in Jesus' name. Would anyone say amen? Lord, make your people rich, Lord. This morning we say, Lord, we want to buy that gold. Will you come in and meet with us and us with you this morning, Lord? This day and this week, Lord. Will you come in and fellowship with us, Lord God? And bring the true riches which we can never lose. Help us, Lord, to lay down that which will not give us life and take up that which will give us life. In Jesus' name, and God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's just close in prayer before the guys go. We're, now, we're out of time, so I just want to close in prayer. Let's keep our hands up. Lord Jesus, I pray this week. Lord, with all the craziness that's going to be going on in the world this week and next week, Lord, and the, and the shopping and the, and the hassle and the hustle and the bustle, Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would be eternally minded in this coming week. Lord, I pray that we would be eternally minded and not just temporally minded, Lord. I pray we would be taken up with thoughts of you, Lord. Lord, that our affections, as Paul said, would be set on things above, not on things on the earth, Lord Jesus. I pray, Lord, we would remember that you are the true treasure, Lord, that we are pursuing in this life, Lord. Lord, I pray we wouldn't forget that this week. We ask for your blessing upon us. Lord, we pray that we would know both your peace and happiness going with us into every situation and every circumstance. In Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Praise God. We're here again on Tuesday night, guys. God bless and keep you. Don't forget we're here next Sunday morning for our carols at 10 to 12 upstairs and downstairs. God go with you and bless you and keep you. We're serving coffee and tea upstairs. For those of you who want to hang back for a while, we'll be fellowshipping. We start again at 12 o'clock. Amen. Over to the guys. Want to play on?